Hey Matt, how's it going? It's uh, our next week's episode of Going Live with Good Soil. Uh, um, you were sick this past week, right? You, you feeling better? Yeah, we uh, we had uh, COVID go through our family finally, so I've been a little sick, but more so just kind of exhausted from <laughs> dealing with the kids and being up in the night with them and handling all the little you know crying and everything going on during the day. So yeah, I've been at. Uh, diminished capacity for the last week or so but uh we're on the up and up now and starting to feel better okay good good i'm glad i mean i think what i, th I saw some like estimate on twitter that like somewhere between like five and ten percent of the whole u.s population currently at the moment has COVID or something it's kind of crazy that yeah, you know it, it it does seem crazy like you know we have we've all, like since this started two years ago you know we've always kind of known one person here or there that that has it uh, mm -hmm. But just in the last month, it seems like everybody I know has, has COVID. Um, yeah. I mean, just as, a, as an anecdote, there's like a, a group of friends uh, who my wife and I get together with like once a month. Um, and seven of the eight people in that group have had COVID in the last three weeks. And we haven't even seen each other yet. Um, so it's not like we got it from each other. Uh, yeah. But it's just at least in, in my community here in Michigan, it's, it's like ripping through. And like I know yeah. way more people that have it right now than uh, yeah. was certainly the average in the last year or so. Yeah. So just so everyone's aware, if this is your first time on here, Matt and I are doing our weekly live stream on our Good Soil Investment YouTube channel. And we also uh, do it at the same time on Twitter Spaces. Um, so this is being recorded and it's approximately an hour. We talk macro markets, obviously our favorite stock Tesla and some other stocks and take a lot of Q&A at the end. Um, and so, yeah, we'll just get it started here. And just to kick things off, Matt, what was fascinating is I was preparing for this. I don't know if anyone who's using Twitter Spaces right now, there's there's actually another Twitter Spaces going on right now that's entitled, Is Tesla the Next Theranos? Yeah. <laughs> what's, I, what's your I, uh, response? Is it? <laughs> I went on it for 15 minutes before, like from 9 to 9.15, then we had to prepare for this. And I was on it and I got requested as a speaker and they accepted me. But there's like one guy sort of dominating the talk and you know, using kind of uh, intimidating, like every other word's like a curse word, but he's totally bad mouthing Tesla. It's just like, I think I told you it's like Montana skeptic uh, with a much more abrasive language <laughs> so, and talks over people and such. But there was like, you know, a two or three defenders of Tesla that were being very polite, but they're kind of being talked over. And then there's like three or four people that are speaking that also are trashing Tesla, but they don't seem to be very uh, convicted in their trashing of Tesla uh, versus it's like one guy sort of dominating the conversation. It was interesting. There's 200 and something people listening. I'd love hearing the bear case. I love hearing, you know, as much as it triggers me sort of emotionally, because I'm so like invested, like I'm aware of that, how like my natural knee jerk reaction is to be like upset and be like, who is this guy? Why is he saying all this bad stuff? But then I have to think I use my brain and I realize, you know, I love, I need to learn what their case is. I need to be, try to be empathetic with why people, some people still think Tesla is a fraud, you know, and understand where they're coming from. Because, you know, number one, I want us to try to find holes in our hypothesis of Tesla always, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I've always been doing that. But number two, I just, it's, it's actually good to know when you keep, when everything they say, when you feel like it's not something you haven't heard before and it's easily like misinformation, they're kind of quoting, um, like this guy was saying, there's like two or three autopilot deaths a weekend and Tesla hides it. <laughs> it's crazy. What, what? And, yeah, I don't know. It's nuts. He's like, in China, it's killing people every other day there. No one even, they don't talk about it. I don't know. It's just, he was just like, you know. But uh, the, when I hear that, it kind of helps me realize that there's still so many people. And I hear there's several other people on this 
channel that sort of agree with him that there's still so many minds to be won over. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it's not a, it's not an overcrowded investment by any means yet. You know, um, sometimes I feel like it is given our tunnel that we're in of Tesla bulls, but in reality, in the big mass population, it's certainly, I don't think overcrowded yet. So I think there's, there's, um, you know, I, I think there's a, a bridge to making a, like a decent bear cases, but then you've got to cross that, uh, that bridge to go all the way to, to, uh, fraud. So, so was there anything, yeah. I, um, you know, presumably there's nothing that, uh, seemed like a credible kind of fraud, uh, data point to you. Uh, but was yeah. there any, any kind of decent bear case that was, um, put out there that you hadn't heard before, or that seemed to have a nugget of truth in it? No, nothing I could see. I mean, the guy was basically, I mean, the, the, the perspective he had is that the full self-driving is being overcharged and it's just a, it's a scam. Um, and someone could make that argument if they don't believe in the technology, if they think it's never going to succeed. And they think Elon, you know, they can make, they can try to make the case that it's a intentional scam that Elon's just trying to collect extra money off the top. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, that's a really far-fetched, you know, idea, but you can make that case, I guess. Um, so that was like a big part of the discussion. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just uh, that no one else can, you know, that other car makers, self-driving car makers are way better than Tesla and aren't are safer and all this stuff. And then they'd be present, you know, someone would, you know, someone who's like a Tesla supporter would join in and say, well, you know, statistically they only have one crash for every 10 of other cars and they would just be totally ignored. And then they'd keep going on to why Tesla's unsafe and stuff. And Elon's covering up all the regulators and fighting tooth and nail to keep them quiet kind of thing. You know, that was kind of the case being made. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You know, it seems a little bit like the, the opposite given, uh, you know, that, that appointment to Nitsai, I can't remember that woman's name who Missy Cummings, Missy Cummings. Yep. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it seems very clear that there's, you know, a huge amount of scrutiny. It's not this like, how would Elon even be covering that up or like, yeah, it doesn't really make any sense to, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, it, it was fun. I wish I could have stayed on it longer, but you know, if there's other folks on this, you know, Twitter spaces that want to listen to it, jump over to it. Ours is being recorded and can be watched later if you want to catch it later, but it's, it's healthy for anyone who's a Tesla bull to at least be able to tolerate listening to the bear case, right? I think it's very important. So whatever it is in my personal belief system, whatever I believe in strongly, I have to also be ready to tolerate listening to the other side. That's kind of my own personal approach philosophically. Um, otherwise, whatever I'm believing in, you know, how can I know that it can withstand the test of time and truth or whatever, you know, I have to be able to listen to both sides and tolerate it at least. So, yeah, I mean, you're trying to find the truth. You're not trying to reinforce your, your prior convictions. That's uh, exactly, that's exactly. A, a recipe for disaster as an investor to just trying to, yeah. you know, reinforce your original view rather than taking new data points and adjust. Yeah. Yeah. So with that side note kind of out of the way, uh, you know, again, if anyone's late, there's a Twitter spaces going on right now called is Tesla the next Theranos? And there's like 200 and something people on it. Um, and I was on it for, you know, 15 or 20 minutes before this live stream, listening to some of the, the crazy stuff being talked about on there. So people can go over and listen to it if they want. Um, it's encouraged anyway. Uh, so for for moving on to our normal mode of operations here so first the macro market you know like 
it seems to be the story every week for the last several weeks, right? Where we have this huge <laughs> kind of dump of growth stocks, Kathy Wood's ARK Investment Flagship Fund, which is, you know, which we use as sort of like index for our investing bucket of stocks is going to lower and lower lows every week and sell-offs. And Kathy Wood had a really good macro market kind of discussion episode on Friday in the know with Kathy or whatever it's called. Um, I listened to that and I love her macroeconomic outlook. Uh, you know, she's, I find her to be ring true what she says more than any other macroeconomist. Um, although it's sort of a fine line when she says the market is irrational or being irrational. You know, I mean, that's sort of the headline quotes that have been going. She didn't, she said exactly that. It might have been taken out of context, but, you know, I'm a strong believer in, in not saying the market is ever wrong. You know, the market is always right by definition in my mind, and we just have to adapt to it as best we can. So, um, I don't know. Did you listen to her her uh, discussion, Matt? Do you have any thoughts about that? Or no, I I, I didn't hear her thing on Friday. I've, I've heard a lot of her commentary in the past, though. Um, okay. And one of the things you know, I'm curious to know if she if she touched on this. She she talks a lot about uh, technology being a, a force for deflationary pressure, which she thinks will kind of overcome you know yep. any of these in, inflationary concerns. Was that another one of her uh, yeah kind of viewpoints? So That's still I, one of the I viewpoints, a yeah. A mm -hmm. little bit of a, I don't want to say a bone to pick with, with that, but I, you know, I think it's um, true in many instances. So like Tesla um, will be like, has a deflationary battery curve, for example. So um, once they can scale up large enough, uh, you know, they've, they've done a lot of work on rights law and showing how they can really reduce the costs over time. And, and I, I certainly believe that over time, you know, EV costs will, will come down. But I don't think that's mm -hmm. necessarily true for all segments of the economy, you know, energy in, in particular and, and like, you know, food, um, mm -hmm. things that aren't really, you know, um, subject to, uh, you know, disruption, I think we'll see inflationary pressure. So I haven't heard her distinguish between those different types of or segments of the economy. Is that something that she touched on at all? And if not, maybe what's what's your thought? A little bit. Um, I think that's more of like a medium to long term. And she, you know, mm -hmm. she touched on it. And she I think she just thinks everything, you know, there, there's sort of like a lot of value traps going on. And sure. the, um, you know, growth tech stocks are into kind of she referenced Zoom and their revenue growth, like, you know, how they had like 86 or some ridiculous growth last year. And then this quarter is 20 percent year over year, but it's supposed to accelerate again. So Zoom is an example of a stock that's been hit too hard that, you know, she strongly believes in. That's going to pick back. It's already, it's already entering like value stock territory, but it's actually growing like a growth stock. So, you know, there's just some weird anomalies that she thinks is going on, I think. Um, and, you know, it's true. Maybe in, from her perspective, there is. And, and the, the question is, how long can that kind of anomaly go on, you know, um, before the market has the market kind of overcorrected? Right. I mean, I think it's human nature for the macro market, especially to just kind of overcorrect itself. You know, at some point. We're in kind of overcorrection territory of this kind of new rate environment mm -hmm. of adjusting growth stocks. Have we gone into the overcorrection territory already? Or are we not quite there yet? I mean, that's, I guess, the big question. And um, and she clearly thinks it's way overcorrected, um, mm -hmm. you know, but we're I think we were overcorrected to the upside previously before this kind of re-rate environment, uh, it seems. But um yeah. Yeah, I was I was listening to uh you know Jerome Powell had his uh you know reconfirmation hearing this morning. I was listening to a little bit of that. Did you catch any of his comments uh on that before we jumped on? Yeah, yeah. trying to catch up to that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think he certainly the market seemed to like what he was saying, you know, at least initially. I think some of the the gains from that have been given back uh in the last half hour or so, but 
Um, you know, I, I think he he did a good job of, of kind of calming the markets and saying, you know, there's going to be a long road to normal, you know, in terms of getting back to like a, you know, a normal monetary policy. Um, you know, he was talking about being in this low interest rate environment for a long time um, and, and kind of uh, the, the transition to, you know, rate hikes and, you know, kind of uh, more normal interest rates. I think he, he was painting a picture broadly with several of his comments that, that seemed to indicate that this was going to take a while to um, kind of revert back. And, and he even questioned shrinking the balance sheet. And, and if so, it sounded like later this year rather than earlier, as a lot of people had thought. So um, yeah. that certainly seems to uh, create some, you know, some more wind in the sails of, of growth stocks. Um, you know, that, that it's not going to be, the, the rug's not going to get pulled out from underneath them in, in, ter in terms of kind of an abrupt change in, in monetary policy. So I think that's, that's good news for a lot mm -hmm. of the, the companies that, that we play with. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think in, it's almost like he didn't give out more bad news that's already been right. priced in, you know, and I think the market like that because every week it feels like there's a little more incremental bad news of rates going up faster than, you know, anticipated every week or every other week. And that's been causing the market to kind of edge lower and lower. And this is the first like data point from the Fed where it doesn't seem like there's more bad news. It's already kind of the, the most of it is already out there and um, in terms of how fast they're going to rate, you know, make interest rates go up and de-risk the balance sheet and such. Um, and I think that we're in kind of that weird territory every once in a while, in like the macroeconomic cycle, we kind of get into this backwards territory where like, it feels like the bad news for the macro market is good news for the stock market. You know, it's right. like, right. yeah. Oh, jobs are even worse. Oh, stocks going up. That means rates will stay lower, you know, or whatever it is. It's like, it's kind of a weird in the macroeconomic cycle. When we get to these points where it's like, people are almost like rooting for bad news economic indicators so that it prevents the Fed from raising rates faster or something. And I'm always suspicious when we, you know, I just something doesn't feel right about that every time, you know, every few years we get into kind of this mode and it just kind of seems strange to me or odd. It doesn't seem to fit, but that's just the way it operates, I guess. Right. I mean, what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, I, I think in the, you certainly see this with the, like the jobs report. I think, what was it Friday? You know, they were expecting something like 400,000 new jobs and it was like half that, Mm -hmm. Um, and so people are like, okay, that's bad news, which is good for stocks. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. like, you yeah. know, cause it, cause it puts pressure on the fed to, you know, uh, kind of keep, keep the rates lower, get, you know, uh, yeah. going. And, and so in the short term, I certainly get that, but you know, it's one of those things that you have to pay attention to because, you know, in the medium term and certainly in the long term, like you, you've got to pay attention to the, like the fundamentals of the, of the economy. If, if, you know, GDP is not growing because there aren't workers. Um, you can't have like a rip roaring stock market that's going to be going up 10% a year, um, yeah. at least for an extended period of time, because you need the underlying economic strength to kind of uh, bolster the, uh, the, the sort of, you know, equity returns that, you, that you're going to see, you know, earnings power of the companies. So yeah. that is something that I'm, I'm concerned on, on uh, in the medium term. You know, I, I do think um, even if that reality does pan out though. I think there's going to be a wide disparity between the winners and losers in that situation. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I still like the, you know, the, the group of companies that, that we're invested in, uh, cause I think they'll, they will be able to weather, you know, a severe economic downturn better than you know, most of the others. Um, yeah. but, um, it's, it certainly warrants keeping an eye on it and it could definitely impact, uh, the stock market, and, you know, valuations going forward. Yeah. Where so where I guess the next thing is Tesla, right? Where does Tesla shake out in all of this? I mean, what's the uh, uh, what do you think the you know the 
you know, worst case, best case scenarios for Tesla with the macro market environment? You know, it's it's hard. I, I kind of view Tesla as one of these these in between companies. So yes, um, me too. Yeah, like in between value and growth, right? It's like sort of growth yeah. for sure, but it's almost a value stock already too, right? It's kind of like the best of both worlds almost. It, it really is. So just for, for people who maybe haven't uh, seen some of our previous videos where, where we talk about this, um, you know, when you, when you have interest rates rising, it increases your equity discount rate, uh, which, you know, reduces the, uh, or which, you know, so you need to use a higher discount rate to uh, present value the cash flows of a company. So that hurts growth stocks more so than like value stocks or, or uh, highly cash flow positive companies like Apple. Um, yeah. So, you know, Tesla certainly is kind of a growth stock because they're growing at such a rapid clip. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they're generating, you know, several billion dollars of operating cash flow per quarter. Um, and, and they have kind of turned into this um, surprise like, juggernaut of cash flow. Um, so, so they have this situation where their fundamentals can serve as a little bit of a backstop um, so that even if macro deteriorates and let's say, you know, uh, treasuries uh, go up, uh, it certainly will be bad news for the Tesla stock if, if that happens. Um, but I think the you, you can still use relatively near-term valuation metrics uh, as, as something of a backstop um, of, of, the, of the current share price. So, I, you know, I think it'd be very difficult to see, even if, you know, interest rates really rose more than we're expecting. Um, you know, I could see some really growth companies, you know, like like Lemonade or, or um, some of the others that are really like true growth companies that are not cash flow positive. Uh, those those could get really pummeled and, you know, it's not outside the realm of possibility that they could get cut in half. Uh, but Tesla, it, it, the, the, the reaction couldn't be as severe just because, um, you know, you've got for, like forward price earnings multiples or EV to EBITDA multiples yeah. or even just like a, a discount of cash flow. Sure, you can use a higher discount rate, but it won't result in like cutting the valuation in half. Yeah. Um, so I think it, I think they're going to be relatively safe in this environment, not to say that there's no downside, but I think it's, it's less downside than some other names. Yeah. And just to elaborate on what you said about the uh, discount, um, uh, discounting cash flow uh, method, just to almost like another, a more, you know, first principles point of view of an investment of a stock uh, that I think of frequently is the the true theoretical current price of a stock uh, should really theoretically be the future value of all the dividends it, dividends it ever mm -hmm. pays out discounted back to present day value. So, you know, yeah, sure, there'll be great cash flow, but you have to also imagine, okay, Tesla could get to a place where it actually is paying huge dividends in the future one day. And you have to add that up and discount that back to present day. So when interest rates go up, obviously, you're discounting all that dividend future dividend, you know, payout at a different rate. And that's why the stock price would be lower, obviously, too. Um, yep. So it's sort of in line with what you said. Uh, but just to take it a little step further, instead of just measuring the cash flow in the future, you know, I, you know, I think, um, theoretically it's like, you know, Apple's now paying a dividend for example. Right. And, um, so like Tesla at some point, I would imagine will pay a dividend down the road one day, whether it's, you know, three years, five years or 10 years at some point it will grow so and generate so much cash. They can't spend in an efficient way though. I, I would believe they'll give some kind of dividend back to the investors. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But, um, that's sort of what I keep in mind when I think about, you know, could Tesla be paying a, 
you know, one day pay a $200 billion a year dividend or $500 billion a year. dividend. I think, yes, one day in the future, it could pay that much in dividends, you know? And so I still think it's still a steal at these levels historically, when we look back in 10 years. Um, anyway, uh, it's exciting. Tesla becoming the stock of all time in, in our opinion, uh, or my opinion, for sure. I think both of us believe that. Yep. And, uh, you know, we'll see how the story plays out over time. Um, I also think the gross margins is, uh, you know, is going to improve and couldn't come at a better time for the worst case scenario that we're talking about because higher gross margin signals, higher cash flow in the future as well, which I think helps the discounted to present day value at higher interest rates and such. So I do think Tesla does have a nice backstop versus other growth tech stocks. Yeah, it could get cut by like 20, 30, 40, even 50% temporarily, who knows, but it's not getting cut by 80%. You know, all the other growth stocks could worst case get cut by 80% from here still in my mind, you know, if they're not generating cash, you know, right. like, you know, it could go, the floor is the limit is how low they can go. You know, if interest rates are coming up faster than everyone expects, you know? And so I think Tesla is a little bit safer because of the, the gross margins improving and cash flow actually generating versus, you know, two years ago, they weren't really generating cash or gross margins, you know, positively too much. So, yeah, I mean, are you worried about our other stocks that we talk about, Rocket Lab, Lemonade or Roblox, Matt? Are you? Yeah, I mean, the, I think you, you've seen all of them have pretty, pretty steep hits in the last, I don't know, month or so. Um, so it probably would have been better to be more more worried about them, you know, back in December. Uh, yeah. than right now. But, but I think, you know, it's, we, we've talked about this before. I mean, we, we highlighted this actually as, as a risk um, like several months ago that, you know, those yeah. companies in an, in an environment like we're seeing right now would be more impacted than Tesla, which is exactly what we we're just saying. And it's, it's exactly yeah. what we've seen happen. Um, yeah. So sure. I, you know, I, I do remain, um, I don't want to say worried about them, but um, you know, I, I think they're, they are more at risk than, than Tesla. Um, but you know they're also um, trading at at you know pretty steep discounts relative to what to what Tesla is offering. So uh, you you can also see more opportunity for upside as well. Uh, yeah. Particularly, I, I think with Lemonade, which is uh, I was basically say, trading at its all time lows right now. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm excited about Lemonade. I mean, I'm looking right now, and it's a very shorted stock. Like on the interactive I was gonna, yeah. platform, it's uh, even though there's a very low borrow fee of like just one percent. There's only 114,000 shares available to borrow, which is kind of low, but also on the interactive brokers platform, it says there's an 87% utilization rate. And what that means is if you're long lemonade stock and it's fully paid for, you're not borrowing cash on margin, but you're long lemonade stock and you participate in the interactive brokers automated stock lending program, which I love you know, personally and, and do participate in. It's like free money for your personal trading account. Very minimal risk if you look into it, in my opinion, not investment advice. Just by the way, none of this is investment advice what we're talking about. This is all our own opinions. But the 87% utilization rate means that 87% of your fully paid for lemonade shares are getting lent out, which is very high. You know, like ARKK yeah. uh, is 100% right now, which is crazy. Some, some people want to short the ARK as a hedge, which I haven't <laughs> seen it that high. You know, uh, Matterport is 100%. Uh, Lucid is 100%. Wow, Lucid has a 107% borrow fee right now. Zero shares. There must be a short squeeze going on with that, why it's up right now. But but most stocks don't have very high borrow fees, um, like nothing above, you know, utilization rates, I mean, of the bar shares being lent out. But 87% is pretty high. You know, once it's above like 50%, that's pretty significant in my mind. And so to me, it signals there's a lot of shorts that need to buy in, you know, and people mm -hmm. have been... 
buy back their well, shares. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, that's exactly what I was what I was going to say. I mean, you know, if you, uh, you know, opened a short position on Lemonade a year ago, um, then the, the stock's down 79% since then. So that's <laughs> How like, much more upside are you going to get? Yeah, exactly. You're like, you're not going to risk, you know, um, a huge amount of, of, you know, upside from here to, to like squeeze out an extra 10, 15%. Like the maximum you can get is hundred percent if they go bankrupt. So if you, yeah. if you got 79% right now, like, you know, call it a day, that's like, that's a home run for a short. So yeah. I, there's there has to be some level of short covering, you know, in the medium term for, for lemonade in particular, I think, um, just just because you're approaching these kind of theoretical limits of, of, yeah. of the return on these. So I, I, you don't want to play chicken when you're when you're a short. And uh, so but, but then once that covering happens, then that's going to obviously have a positive impact on the stock price. And so, yeah, it will potentially cause a short squeeze where, you know, people want to lock in their profits and. So it wouldn't surprise me if, if Lemonade has a relatively sharp movement in, in the short term. Not saying that yeah. it will, and again, not investment yeah. advice. I could see a double me, in like a short period of time, whether it's yeah. one month or two months or three months. You know, I could see a double. But I could also see it going lower, but at some point I could see it doubling pretty quickly. Um, I mean, it's 2.4 billion market cap right now, and it's got like 1.2 billion of cash or something on hand. So like, is it going to get more than cut in half? Like, can it trade lower than the amount of cash they have on their book? I don't know. It just seems it seems hard to believe. I remember years ago when I was at Interactive Brokers, and it was after the two thousand eight, you know, uh, crash. Interactive Brokers briefly traded around the amount of cash on their balance sheet, and lots of people were just buying up the shares. Like I'm buying tons of Interactive Brokers at like twelve dollars a share or whatever it was then, because it was like the equivalent to the amount of cash they had on their balance sheet, and and so it turned out to be a foolproof trade. You know, it couldn't get much lower than that. So, you know, I don't know. I guess. You have to really believe lemonade is just bleeding cash and it's it's a business that's just dead in the water if you think it's going to go even below the cash value it's just uh yeah it's going to be crazy to see that story play out over time i'm i'm getting I, i'm pumped in my personal ira account I, I was able to you know free up some cash to buy some uh you know uh yesterday actually or two oh, days ago nice. so at 35 and 36 uh you know is you know i talked to some people who had some interesting data points about like, you know, um, the amount of uh, employees per customers, for example, like Lemonade has like, I think it was like, uh, I forget, like one employee for every like 1200 customers or something like that. And other insurance providers, like one employee for every 150 customers. I forget what the exact data point now, but uh, I'll go back to it later. But there's just a lot of really good data points to me about Lemonade, you know, fundamental story still in the in play so yeah we'll see what happens with lemonade yeah we've been talking about it a lot though yeah, yeah. And, and we'll just so everyone knows uh we're gonna be doing a deep dive on lemonade with one of our interviews coming up so in the next week or so you'll you'll see uh yeah see us go into this in, in more detail yeah yeah definitely i'm trying to get um there's a guy who's got put put a short to you know muddy waters uh is the name of the fund and they've had some famous short positions on things like lucky coffee in china and some others and i think they were short the tesla Lucan, at one point yeah, yeah lucky coffee i think they were short tesla at one point but they you know they reversed it you know and went public about reverse or just giving up on their short which is you know it's respectful if a short like goes public you know saying like hey we're not going short anymore and you know it was wrong i think i think that's okay um, so, uh, but they're also, they wrote a short report about lemonade, you know, earlier in 2021, 
And so I wanted to see if we can get them on our show to interview them about the short thesis for Lemonade. I think that'd be really interesting. Um, so we'll we'll say it's Carson Block of Muddy Waters. He's the guy who runs that shop. And they're pretty well known in the hedge fund short community. So we'll see if we can capture his attention maybe. So yeah, we'd love to explore both sides. Roblox, you know, um, also, you know, we're excited to see what their fourth quarter financials are going to be, you know, with the bookings in December. I've heard lots of anecdotal stories now from lots of people saying, yeah, my nephew or my kid has gotten Roblox gift cards or my kid got an Apple gift card, used it to buy Robux, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. I just feel like there's uh, a lot of uh, bookings uh, in December that maybe the market's not ready to, you know, hasn't been ready to adjust yet. And maybe it could be a nice pop for Roblox uh, when that comes out. So I'm excited to see how Roblox plays out. And Rocket Lab is a longer term play, like we talk about, you know, we're excited about its technology, but it could be years before, you know, it's really the space industry ticks up again, where Rocket Lab really comes up in value. Yeah, yeah. And just just as a reminder for anyone who is holding those warrants, um, the the uh, ratio, I forget what, it, what it's called, the, the conversion ratio uh, was finally locked in. Uh, I think it was just yesterday the the, the uh, final calculation went out so um hmm. you want to make sure you either sell those warrants um now or otherwise advise your your broker to convert those warrants into shares so um just a just a heads up for anyone out there who is yeah those warrants. you got about a week i think it's the 22nd those uh um or maybe the 21st something like that in the next couple of weeks um those warrants will will be converted but you need to yeah. take action to avoid the kind of the cash conversion uh, yeah. And again, this is just, you know, this is just our, our thoughts about it. We're not telling people or advising people what to do, but just something to be aware of with the warrants. Definitely look into it yourself and yeah, uh, make a decision um, on your own. But we're just advising kind of what we thought of with ourselves and, and have decided on with the warrants, our, our position. Um, so, yeah, uh, I guess we should just move on to Q&A for the last half hour. There's a lot of uh, questions, a lot of people listening on Twitter spaces and on YouTube live. And maybe, Al, if you want to just kick off some questions, we'll just get through as many as we can in the next half hour. At 1030, it's like back to back at 1030. You got it was like a great Twitter spaces going on with the Tesla's at Theranos, next Theranos, uh, which I caught a little bit of than ours. And then next at 1030 is uh, Kathy Woods going live on ARK Invest's uh, monthly webinar. So I'm going to try to get into that too, right after we're done to see what her latest update is, you know? Um, so anyway, <laughs> let's like get marathon. to marathon. It's a good day. Tuesday morning is a good day. All right. From life at 130 beats per minute on Twitter, what is your theory on why Tesla increased full self-driving from 10,000 to 12,000? I think they're closer to level four than, uh, you know, Elon's at the forefront. He makes these decisions. Elon makes the decisions and he's at the forefront of the latest technology and understands. I listened to the Lex Friedman interview. He seems very confident it, you know, it was a much harder problem than he even suspected, but he's still very confident they're solving this. And I think they're much closer to level four than people realize. And this is kind of like a precursor to that. So you get it at 12,000 with some more features. And then maybe in another three months, it goes out. It's, it's so good that he rolls it out to wide, you know, maybe three months even. I don't know. I think it'll be, I think we'll be surprised. A lot of people backed up their timelines to like, oh, it's still two or three years. But I think this year, I, I believe in Elon in this latest uh, timeline he found on Lex Friedman's interview. What do you, what do you think, man? Yeah, you know the, the so the MBA you've been the, driving it too. Yeah, but tell us after I, that. I have, not like the yeah. last week or so. I've been kind okay. of quarantined last week, so I, I haven't okay. seen too much of the, the 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 newest version. I actually got a software update yesterday. I haven't had a chance to drive it yet, though. Um, okay, but um, yeah, you know, James Dalma had a had a really great. Um, 
uh, perspective on this and when a tweet that that he put out um you know i was you know the, i was saying the the nba and me likes to think of like uh revenue optimization you know and, and like pricing and kind of think of it in that framework uh but uh james was saying you know that he thinks it's more about setting price and value expectations rather than about optimizing revenue so you know he's he's saying you know let's get people used to thinking that this is like an incredibly valuable uh proposition and maybe that's actually um not the right thing for optimizing revenue right now but in 12 months time or whenever you know you get to level four or whatever uh when you've had this history of it being at twelve thousand uh, dollars then uh if they want to charge twenty thousand dollars or twenty five thousand dollars it won't seem as crazy and it would, wouldn't call, like stir the pot as much as if say you know like maybe five thousand dollars right now it would be like the price or the, the revenue maximizing price i don't know mm -hmm. that that's like just just for example um, I, th I think if you did that and then you tried to all, all of a sudden increase the price to $25,000, people would like flip out and take rate would plummet. But I think what James is saying is if you set the price expectation right now, that you know, this is not done, but it's already worth $12,000, then when it is done, um, and it's several times better than it is right now, that it's, it's not going to be such a hard pill to swallow to make it a, you know, $20,000 plus option. So to me, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And, and it's, it's much more about optimizing long-term revenue than it is about kind of maximizing short-term profitability. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, there's some maximizing of short-term profitability here going on too. So, all right, next question, Luke Abella, what are the advantages with using EBIT, you know, uh, EBIT versus EBIT over EBITDA versus gap net income? When projecting Tesla bottom line, do you put forward multiples on gap or non-gap over EBITDA for projection reliability? Thanks. Uh, Matt, do you want to digest that and take a stab at it? Sure. So, um, you know, the the normal ratios that, that you'd look at for valuation are like, you know, EV to enterprise value to EBITDA or um, like gap net incomes, which is um, earnings. So price to earnings. Those, the, like the, the main differences between those are one is uh, EV to EBITDA is capital structure neutral. So meaning uh, you have enterprise value, which includes debt and you have EBITDA, uh, which excludes interest expense. So um, that is kind of like a capital structure neutral way of comparing companies. Whereas like a price to earnings ratio PE, um, that's only on the equity side. So if you have, if you're trying to compare companies uh, with different balance sheets, so like, you know, Ford, for example, we were talking about last week has something like a 60%, you know, debt to enterprise value ratio, whereas Tesla is like, I, I don't know what it is, like 5% or something. Tesla basically has no debt um, relative to its enterprise value. So um, EV to EBITDA multiple is probably more um, appropriate if you're going to be comparing companies that have drastically different balance sheets uh, or debt levels. Um, you know, but I think most people on the street tend to use price to earnings ratios. Uh, and, and for Tesla, since they don't really have any debt to, to speak of, um, it almost makes more sense to use a, a PE ratio anyways, because um, it's like you're going to be using EV to EBITDA multiples, which if you're if you're looking across the industry, those are generally like if, if you're doing comparable company analysis, those will be for the most part uh, based on companies which have kind of different um, uh, like uh, balance sheet structures. So um, Tesla EV to EBITDA multiple will look more like a PE ratio because they don't have so much debt. So for that reason, I think it's it's more helpful to look at at uh, Tesla on a on like a 
um, adjusted EPS basis. Um, and that's, that's the primary metric that I use when, when I'm doing like modeling. Uh, but you know, it's still helpful to have look at EBITDA, uh, which is really just kind of a proxy for cash flow generation or operating cash flow. Um, so hopefully that, that helps answer your, your question. Um, but yeah, I, I, I prefer PE personally. All right. Next question is from Martin Muldoon. Do you think Tesla insurance can be a significant contributor to Tesla's bottom line? I was listening to, I didn't get through the end of it, but yesterday uh, Dave released his, uh, Dave Lee released his interview with Pierre Farragou, who's kind of a prominent, well-known uh, Tesla analyst. Um, and he mentioned that he thinks they've done some analysis on the insurance making up a, you know, I forgot the metric he used, but like huge, it was a huge amount of uh, market I cap. I, I don't know about it, he, though. I don't know. Said, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, he's, I was listening to the same thing. He said something to the effect of um, it, it has the potential to increase the profitability per car by 50%. So yeah. I, I forget how he worked through his math, but it was something like, you know. On top of the full self-driving, I think, too, right? It was on top well, of he, that. I or think no? he was saying like the, the full self-driving could be like a 4x increase depending on take rate yeah. and something like that. Um, but he was saying like, yeah, if you have, I forget what his exact numbers were, but it was something like if you have $5,000 of profit per car, but then you have $200 per month of, of profit from the insurance and you multiply that or you, you know, present value that over the life of the car, then that's like a $2,500, you know, basically 50% of the, of the profitability, uh, could be increased just by having insurance. Um, I, I didn't run the math either, but to me, that strikes me as a little bit high, um, you know, I, I've always kind of assumed that they would run their services business line. So like thinking of superchargers and act like uh, maintenance, like all your, your Tesla repair center services, um, yeah. all that. I, I think they're going to try to run that close to break even uh, with yeah. the idea being you want to um, pass on those savings to customers um, and, and really make money on selling the car and, you know, full self-driving and, and some other items. But um, I don't think they're going to, if they're making huge amounts of money on on that, um, then they won't be as competitive with other insurers. I, I think it's yeah. just my kind of thinking. So yeah, I, I'm not sure where I'd, I'd go, but I, I was a little bit skeptical of those numbers Pierre put out. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be, and, and I see Rolando Velas in the chat saying 15%. He thought he said instead of 50, which we could easily, you know, he's got a heavy accent. We'll have to listen to it more carefully um okay. before we really make it 15% seems more pragmatic that or seems realistic. much more reasonable to me yeah 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 <laughs> yeah I agree that's that's possible that's more at a marginal side you know yeah I don't think Tesla's gonna you know the insurance is is that much of a boon you know I think it'll be nice icing on the cake but I don't think it's gonna dramatically change the you know trillion dollar market cap to like multi you know it's not gonna be hundreds you know maybe a I don't know. It's not going to add more than a few hundred billion at the very most market cap to the company overall in my, in my mind, you know, but um, how yeah. I get from A to Z, I don't know, Matt, I leave it to you to kind of work the number. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, you know, the, the way I, I've, I've thought about this though, is, you know, you, you have a better user experience. Um, you, it makes people less likely to switch from Tesla to another car company. It makes the total cost of ownership lower um, and kind of increases loyalty, which all those things, uh, yeah. convert into, uh, pushing up demand, which, um, yeah. is yeah. really the ultimate goal is, is kind of increasing okay. the ED adoption. So I think okay. that's going to be the goal to kind of optimize for, you know, long-term sustainability of demand. Yeah. Now, Nick Carter in the chat is saying he also heard 50%. So we'll have to listen more closely and, and 
before we kind of opine on it, I guess, uh, next time. But yeah, Tesla insurance <laughs> is, uh, we, we don't think it's going to be uh, a major uh, change to the bottom line. for It'll be a change. It'll be definitely an increase in, in the margins and so forth. But um, it's not going to be like, the, you know, as big an effect as like the Tesla bought a whole new product and, you know, total adjustable market or full self-driving or whatever. So anyway, let, let's we'll go to the next question. That was a good one. We'll dive into it more later. Okay. From Mahandra Reddy, do you think at 4.9 billion Rocket Lab is a bargain? Hmm. This is the question, you know, this is the multi-billion dollar question. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think uh, if you think SpaceX is a bargain at a hundred billion dollar valuation, then I think Rocket Lab is a real bargain at 4.9 billion valuation. I think that's how I would answer it. You know, if you think SpaceX should only be worth 30 billion, then maybe Rocket Lab is appropriately priced at 4.9 billion or something like that is what I would say. You know, that's sort of how I think of it because there's nothing to reference it with. It's like a space industry company. It's years away from becoming profitable. You have to reference it with another space industry company, right? At this time, that's the only way to really have a reference price or, or target valuation that you think it can get to in my mind, you know? And so if you, if I'm assuming that SpaceX has somewhat of an appropriate valuation right now, then I think currently Rocket Lab is way undervalued. That's that's just our opinion after researching it. And we believe it'll it's like the clear second place to SpaceX in the space industry. Do you have any thoughts or further comments, Matt? Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing I would I would add is um, there is some execution risk with Rocket Lab. I mean, you know, they're trading at, I forget the exact number, but it's something like 30 times revenue right now. Um, yeah. So for $4.9 billion to uh, be a reasonable valuation, they do have to succeed in, you know, kind of their long-term vision of, um, you know, drastically expanding the pie and, and really ultimately providing um, constellations, you know, services back to Earth, uh, which will be a much larger business than just the, the low Earth orbit uh, launch business. So there, there is execution risk in there that's real for them to kind of achieve that end goal. Because uh, you can imagine like, all right, let's just say they're a great LEO launch company. Well, 10 years from now, if they're just, you know, a really great LEO launch company, I don't think they're going to maintain a $4.9 billion valuation uh, unless the, that you know, the LEO launch services business is just way bigger than I think it will be. Um, yeah. So so th there is that real risk in there. I think um, they, they need to do a lot of execution over the next five years. Um, but I think once they do that, then the upside potential from there is, is you know, like, 10x or more probably so um yeah. bargain sure but not a not a sure thing yeah well i mean you just referenced 30 times revenues spacex at 100 billion is trading at uh over 50 times revenues of 2021 i think you know so you know as a reference point you know that seems to be about what the space industry company the top ones are trading at you know right now because there's so much future growth and execution built into it you know successful execution obviously but we're you know obviously many people are confident about spacex executing on starlink into a profitable business and that's a large part of the valuation there um yeah and and just, i'm not positive on that 30 yeah. times ratio but it's, it's somewhere in that neighborhood somewhere there so don't okay. quote me on that exactly but it you know yeah. <laughs> Dozens of times of revenue. Yeah. And just as a quick side note, back, back on the lemonade point, uh, I see in the chat, Kevin Yang just referenced that, um, you know, for a million customers at the end of uh, 2020, so a year ago, uh, they had an, they had uh, 567 employees. So that's 
1,763 customers per employee as of uh, the number of customers they had at the end of, or the number of employees they had at the end of 2020. So that was a year ago. So we'll see. I think that's probably been up, you know, they probably increased a lot of employees since then, but they've also increased customers beyond a million. So we'll, we'll see what that ratio is, but it's, it's way lower than the rest of the insurance. That ratio of customers to employees is, is really good for lemonade versus the rest of insurance. Yeah. Well, imagine like an insurance broker having 1,763 clients. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That gives you an idea of like the, the scale of their efficiency. Um, you know, it, well, the, the potential for their efficiency, if they can really scale, I mean, you could just imagine that operating leverage, you know, if you can maintain that sort of ratio while growing your customer yeah. base, like, Oh gosh, it could just be gigantic. <laughs> Big disruption coming, maybe. I don't know. I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to our chat with, uh, it's going to be actually his his name is Paper Bag Investor. That's, I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but he's got his own YouTube channel that he does a lot of lemonade analysis on. We'll be talking with him in a, a couple nights and, and post it on our channel. So, all right, next question. Let's see here. From Darlin, do you think full self-driving rate will increase again before the release of Cybertruck? Thanks. Um, Cybertruck release is what, later this year? Hopefully the first deliveries. Um, I do think mm -hmm. that full self-driving rate will increase again before then. I would put the over-under at $15,000 at the time of the Cybertruck reveal. That's my over-under guess, 50-50 probability. What do you think, Matt? That sounds reasonable. I'd probably take the over on that. Um, mm. you know, if I had to guess, I'd say Cybertruck maybe leaks out to like you know Q1 of 23, um, just because these things tend to not go as, as planned. Um, but I, I think, mm -hmm. you know, a, a year from now, basically, I, I imagine FSD is going to be just drastically better than than it is now. And, um, yeah. you know, probably will be in wide release in the United States. I, I would be shocked if it's not in wide release in the United States and at a much better safety level than it is right now and with much lower interventions. And like, we'll actually be, I find it not to be like a, a relaxing use of it right now. But I, I think one year from now, it will be a highly valuable uh, thing that drastically improves the overall driving experience a lot like navigate on autopilot does already so if that's the case then i think they'll price it more than fifteen thousand. but i i, I yeah. don't know i don't know if i had to throw a number out in the air i'd say eighteen thousand. but I, I could be wrong yeah. okay someone in the youtube chat just said insurance companies usually have a hundred customers per agent so lemonade is literally an order of magnitude more efficient. Wow. That's, that's impressive stat right there to know, wow. keep be aware of as well. All right. From Chase Smith, when do you think wall street analysis is tech Tesla knowledge will catch up to what you, Dave Lee, Rob Maurer, et cetera, share. How long will, will we have the knowledge advantage to wall street? I think wall street analysis, Tesla knowledge may never catch up uh, to the, you know, to, to the top retail, you know, uh, investors of of tesla in terms of like you know retail investors we're smart people too we're not like dumb because we're quote unquote retail you know we, we're, many of us have very you know intelligible careers or jobs and you know investing is a big hobby of ours we spend a lot of free time and and we spend a lot of time investing our you know in, in investigating our favorite stocks and there's so much open source information out there now with social media and forums and the internet that we have access to as much information basically than the wall street, you know, an analysts do, um, they might have a few extra data points they could access if they want. Um, 
in terms of like supplier, you know, meetings and such. But I think overall, uh, the retail analysts can, will know more that, about Tesla than the Wall Street analysts uh, for, for from this point forward. Um, you know, the Wall Street, unless you have a Wall Street analyst that's like really smart and solely dedicated to Tesla only, not the whole transportation sector, not the whole, you know, full self-driving sector or whatever the sectors that, you know, a lot, most analysts have to cover a group of stocks or an industry, you know, and, and so because, for that reason, they can't spend all their time just on Tesla only. That's my thought. What do you think, Matt? Yeah. If you're covering 20 stocks for Morgan Stanley, you're, you're never going to be as up to date as Rob Maurer, who's literally putting out a podcast <laughs> of, of every single, every single day about the developments in the, in the Tesla world. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I think they're better than they were a couple of years ago. Um, like Alex Potter's consistently been one of the best analysts out there. But I remember looking at his numbers like last year and I was like, these are ridiculous. Like he says all the right things, but his numbers still seem like ridiculously sandbagged. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's not a whole lot of incentive for them to go out and actually give Tesla credit for 50% unit growth or to give them credit for 30% plus, you know, automotive gross margins. Um, so they don't do that. And then they they're still coming up with price targets right now of like you know a thousand twelve hundred dollars uh but there's <laughs> it's like if you really dig into those numbers you say okay that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense so yeah uh, yeah I, I think they have a hard time um just being realistic with tesla just because it, it's it's hard to give them so much credit and and because their their time is split with other companies that they're covering yeah. And on top of that, which we talk about a lot, Tesla is really a conglomerate of a lot of businesses. You know, it's not just making cars, not just battery packs, it's not just full self-driving. It's not just now insurance or, it's, you know, it's not just going to be the Tesla bot. It's not going to be neural networks as a service. You know, there's so many massive businesses with, you know, energy, mega packs, trucks, you know, there's so, cyber truck is like its own business almost, you know, so there's so many businesses wrapped into Tesla it's sort of its own conglomerate. It's so many things now that even like one person can't keep track of all that themselves if that's all they study. You know, like I've or I feel overwhelmed trying to keep up with all the different aspects of Tesla's business model. You know, like I used to feel overwhelmed, but now I feel really overwhelmed because they've really done so many different things to stay vertically integrated, Ch making their own chips. You know, like it, my goal is to try to understand you know, 70, 80% of, of each of these things with only 20 or 30% of the effort needed, you know, versus a hundred percent effort to get understand hundred percent, because that's sort of the Pareto uh, principle. Right. And so mm -hmm. I'm already getting overwhelmed with that. Like there's certain aspects of Tesla's <laughs> business where I feel like, I don't know anything, hardly anything about it. You know, I need to study it more, but then I got to study this other sector of it or this other part of it. So I feel like you almost need a team of analysts in with different, with their own unique specialties within Tesla's workings to understand Tesla as a whole. It's like, as you know, that Morgan Stanley has a team of analysts to understand the auto sector and transportation. No, no, Morgan Stanley should have a team of analysts to understand just Tesla. That's what they need. So in the future, there's going to be some kind of outfit or shop that understands Tesla, hopefully, that has a team of analysts just studying Tesla. And maybe they study competitors of Tesla for each facet that those analysts, but their focus is Tesla. I think that's the best way to get like a better understanding of Tesla. But um, we'll see if yeah, that plays out. That's kind of like the ARK Invest model, right? Where they, they their verticals yeah. are not based on industry; they're based on technology. So, you know, yeah. you, you've got you know people who have um, you know chip technology experience that are commenting, you know, both on Nvidia and on Tesla. 
So they, they're able to kind of get specialists on the technology to come together and, and come up with the investment philosophies, you know, jointly. So I think that's a much better model than, than what most of the Wall Street analysts are doing. Uh, but, yeah. you, but you're right. Like there's so much that needs like most like almost nobody understands Tesla's energy business at all yet. Uh, and that's kind of really ramping up right now. So uh, still nobody gives them credit. And that's probably going to be, I don't know, $10 billion next year somewhere in that neighborhood, I think, uh, just on, on the mega pack side. So I'm very yeah. curious to see how that all unfolds. And um, yeah, it'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From Nick Carter, do you think 4680 structural pack plus giga castings plus exoskeleton equals cyber hatch $25,000? That's possible. I mean, I think the cyber truck is the first stop. And so maybe they'll do other cyber themed uh vehicles uh, i know they have the quad the cyber quad i guess uh, or atv or whatever um but yeah i would i would not be surprised if they have other cyber themed vehicles uh in the future after the cyber truck um i almost think of it as like you have like the utopian vehicles like the model s and the model x that are like so elegant and beautifully designed and luxurious with lots of cool you know luxury features and then you have like the dystopian so utopian and dystopian. then you have the dystopian uh designs coming out now this like the cyber truck it's like ready for mad max reality you know it's like uh it's it, it you know it's, it's cool it's hardcore rugged and yeah so there might be more vehicles on that dystopian um edge of design coming out in the future i wouldn't be surprised and maybe that's like the cyber hatch i don't know but that's that's that would be in the future but we'll we'll see by that time Tesla will be so big, like just an extra vehicle, even if it's, you know, massively successful is not going to add, you know, it's not going to make Tesla's market cap go from 3 trillion to 6 trillion. It might make it go from 3 trillion to 3.5 trillion or something. It'll still be significant. Maybe if it's a very big success, but you know, each massively new successful model is not going to double the stock price. Like the potential right now for Cybertruck is to have the model, you know, if it becomes in the producing and selling 500,000 a year or more, like, they could, I, I would see their mark, their stock price have 50% upside from where it is now, just on the cyber truck alone, if it's massively successful, but you know, in the future, when they have like a new variant or new model, um, you know, it'll be marginal improvement on the stock upside for each one because they'll already be so big. Yeah. From enter Macbeth on Twitter on Yahoo, Google, Tesla PE is calculated using gap earnings per share yet many analysts including matt use non-gap can you clarify uh if you look at the uh, at the like forward ratios that's all uh, the analysts all report on non-gap um which is basically just backing out uh stock-based compensation um and then the other one-time charges so um i i believe that's just an incorrect uh statement there i mean you can i haven't looked at exactly how like if you look at their reported PE like a um like trailing PE that it's possible that Yahoo shows that on um uh, on a gap basis but uh, all the analysts are, are doing it on a on a non gap basis and that's how you know Gary Black that's how all the you know the Tesla Twitter analysts all all do it on non gap basis so I, I think you're probably just mistaken on that unless there's one area on on Yahoo Finance where it it shows it otherwise. Next question. Do you have any hypothesis regarding Rocket Lab Mega Constellation? Will it be before or after Neutron development? That's a good question. I would think 
if they have some kind of mega constellation, it would be after neutron development. Like maybe they would announce plans for it, you know, in the next year or two, perhaps. Um, but it wouldn't really be deployed until they had their neutron up and running. That's my guess. Uh, and that's still, I guess, neutron is still a couple of years out from actually the, you know, the ETA of it actually making its first kind of launch. Uh, what do you think, man? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, like they need neutron um, to lower the cost and to increase the payload size to you know vertically integrate so that you can cheaply launch these these constellations i mean it's kind of what you see with spacex like if spacex tried to launch starlink before they had falcon 9 it would just be prohibitively expensive um yeah so you yeah. I, I think they they you you have to have uh neutron first yeah. in order to cost effectively you know capital efficiently um get this uh, constellation up and running so yeah, I think it has to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So last question here. Let's make the last question. Then we'll end it and maybe we'll get a chance to go to the uh, the Twitter spaces that's still going on. Is Tesla the next Theranos? It looks like it's still going on. Now has 430 people listening on Twitter spaces. <laughs> so I'm going to go over and listen to that before the ARK Invest thing starts after this. So our last question here is CPI predictions for ARK, for effects on the market. Hmm. Consumer price index predictions. I don't have a prediction for it. You know, I think every data point seems to be affecting the the macro market right now with anticipation of interest rates changing. Uh, hopefully today's uh, testimony by by Fed Chairman Powell is kind of uh, stabilizing or uh, reducing the uncertainty of how quickly or how far they'll change rates um, in a given time period for the next you know 12 months, for example. Um, and so hopefully with, with the reduced uncertainty in the market, money can be allocated back to the market and stocks can start going up again. You know, uh, um, that's my, my hunch, but you know, I don't know for sure, you know, macro markets are, are impossible to really very hard to predict. Matt, you have any last thought on that? No, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's very hard to, to predict, you know, I think we, we basically, uh, gave our perspective on this. I think at, at the outset of the, of this, this video though, I mean, I think the CPI is a concern uh, insofar as it it uh, relates to uh, rates, um, you know, potentially being raised, and and I think there's there's been fairly clear guidance on that, and so you know, I think I think we're all expecting you know three or four rate hikes this year probably, but um, you know we don't really have too much cause for concern, I think, unless rates go up like you know more than 100 basis points, which seems unlikely to me right now. Uh, and especially based on uh, Chairman Powell's uh, commentary today that, you know, we're going to be in a low interest rate environment for a long time. Uh, you know, I think even if we go up, you know, 1% from here, that's not going to be the end of the world on, on yeah. stocks. So, yeah. Cool. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. We're going to shut this down now and uh, we'll be back next week with another Twitter live stream or YouTube live stream, but also we'll broadcast on Twitter spaces at the same time again. All right. Thanks.